Hey everybody, Chibi here. Before we get into today's conversation, I just wanted to take a moment to say thank you. Thank you for showing us that you care about poetry and getting to know more poets across this country. If you've liked what you've heard so far, please make sure to hit that subscribe button, share these episodes, tell a friend, rate and review us wherever you can. And if you want to know more about the things and the initiatives that we are putting in place, you can look us up on Facebook at The Blah Poetry Spot. That is B-L-A-H, The Blah Poetry Spot on Facebook or Write Art Out on Instagram. That's W-R-I-T-E-A-R-T-O-U-T, Write Art Out. Thank you so much, and without further ado, let's get into today's conversation. Welcome, 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 welcome to another edition of The Blah Poetry Spot Presents Words and Shit. Uh, thank you so much for being with us. I feel like we need a theme song at this point. You know, if there's anybody out there that's watching this that's like loving what we're doing and wants to like compose a theme song for us, like hit us up, like, and let's talk budget. Maybe we can make it happen. Anywho, um, we're so excited that you were able to join us this week. Um, despite technical difficulties, some of y'all are fast. You jumped right on it as soon as we posted about it. So thank you for joining us and thank you for everybody that's watching after the fact. We've got such an amazing show uh, for you. I cannot be more excited for the artists that we're featuring this week. Um, we also have another surprise for you this week. My co-host is... Um, none other than Write Art Out's executive director and godfather of poetry in San Antonio. Uh, please, let's welcome Rooster to this conversation. Rooster, how you doing? I'm good, I'm good. Thank you. That was lovely. I appreciate it a lot. Yeah, coming back. Oh, you live in Chibi. I mean, we, we live in as best as we can during this time. I don't know. That's, that's fair. That's I got fair. martinis. I, what you got? I got coffee. You know, this is this is absolutely vital and true. Um, I saw a what was it? Um, a meme that said something like, "When I was like a child, I thought coffee was the adult beverage, and when I was a teenager, I thought alcohol was the adult beverage, and then as an adult, I realized that water is the adult beverage." Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm excited about today. Are you? You said you were excited. I'm, I'm ready for it. So tell us, who do we got on the lineup tonight? Tonight, we have none other than the immaculate, the homie, Felita Hicks. Felita Hicks is the editor-in-chief of Borderlands, Texas Poetry Review, and the author of Hoodwitch, uh, published through Acre Books in 2019. Uh, also a finalist of the 2020 Lambda Literary Award for Bisexual Poetry and long listed for the Julie Suck Award. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> pronunciation, it's a thing. Uh, they are also the 2020 Tin House resident and the recipient of the fellowship from Lambda Literary, Jack Jones Literary Arts and Right of Return USA. Uh, the first fellowship designed exclusively for previously incarcerated artists. Um, an activist and a member of the statewide leadership council uh, established by Texas Criminal Justice Coalition, they advocate for policy changes related to pretrial incarceration, immigrant detention, and the use of cash bail in rural Texas counties. So a lot of really good work in the community. Accolades uh, on accolades on accolades. 
uh, and interviews have been featured or are forthcoming in such places as Android, American Poetry Review, Cincinnati Review, Huffington Post, Kenyan, uh, Kenyan Review, Long Reads Poetry Magazine, Poetry Daily, The Rumpus, Slate, Texas Monthly, The Texas Observer, and others. An interdisciplinary artist, they have an MFA in creative writing from Sierra Nevada College uh, University. Give one round of applause for them. It is Faye Hicks. Hey! Hi, everybody. Faye how you doing? Good. I always feel kind of bad about, like, you know, here's my bio. And then I'm like, no, that's not allowed. I worked damn hard for that bio. Uh -huh. So... When people read, are like, read everything. 50 words or less. I'm like, <laughs> do you know what it took? <laughs> well, you know what? Hopefully after today and today's interview, people will know what it took, you know, because that is the point of words and shit. It's to get to know the person behind the poetry and you have been through it and are incredible. So we are so excited to have you here and feature you on this platform. Thank you for letting me come. I'm so excited. Yeah. Uh, well, this is the point of the show where we hand it off to you. Give it like, give us some poetry, yo. You know, we're going to step back and let's okay. just hear some of your amazing work. Yeah. All right. Um, I have no uh, designated set for tonight, but I am going to set my timer so we can be very kind to people and not be rude. And here we go. Um, I'm going to start with the the poem that is the titular poem of uh, this book, Hoodwitch. Photo of X, 2007 Hoodwitches. Somewhere, somewhere. Hashtag, hallelujah to the hoodwitches. To the shellac clap backs and neck roll snaps, the sisters who snatch tracks and dodge ditches. Hashtag, blessed be to the two small kitchens. Blessed be the Dollar Tree gumbo. Blessed be the Cokes and Hot Cheetos. May the God smile down and rain money on some of us bitches. Hashtag, I'm different. Descended from the truth eaters, I swallow Sarah Sahadi Bartman. She buried herself in the slips of my hips and now she lives in all the mirrors of my apartment. Now she pats me on the belly and begs for me to feed her. So I search me out some rude boys, you know, those thick two-headed oxmen. Cook me up some fine soup roast, sweet potatoes on parchment. Then I sucks me down the oxtails, girl. I cost them. Hashtag hallelujah to the hood witches. To the snapbacks and double daps of queens gone pedestrian. Hashtag blessed beats they children's children. May the God smile down and watch over the black naps and snatchbacks of black women dragged into the system. Of black women who survived outside the system. Black women who survived despite the system. Hashtag I say, I say to my black girls gone missing. To my sisters gone missing. To our daughters and granddaughters. To our mamas and grandmamas. Hashtag I say, I say to the crowned and uncrowned to those above and below ground so that is the the title um, of the book is hoodwitch and that is it's meant to call up the spirits of all of and when i say black uh in this book it's b l x c k and that means black and brown uh women um, and when I say women, it's W-O-M-X-N because I'm including all women from all origins, whether or not they were born as female, whether or not they currently identify as female, um, the femme identified person. Um, 
So I am literally just kind of going through here and see what's going to pop up to me. Uh, a poem I haven't read from this book yet is, yeah, I haven't read Bitch. Let's see that one. Photo of a girl, 1993. Bitch. Fort Hood, Texas. A pack of 18-wheelers out hunting along the rain-soaked highways suffocate the word before it reaches into my second-floor window. Below, our neighbor's eyes click-click open, his brows arced up as he stares over the gate and into our backyard. I flinch when his fat, flat, pink lips slide open and reveal charred gums and pissed teeth. When my dog begins to howl and buck, Daddy brings the stud up from behind her again, cups her hips, and holds her still when the cock catches her off guard. Her fur dampens, the muscle jerking beneath, but he holds her still until the stud jars her open and our neighbor's cheeks gash red and suck. I watch the neighbor and not her, and he is clearly shaking, panting a little. He parts his lips, hunting for a name a tool both my father and this man can share while watching her get taken. And it is in their eyes at the way that she is finally broken into. Um, so when I was growing up, my dad raised pit bulls. Um, and it's something that he took from his time in LA uh, in Compton when we came to Texas. Um, and my first dog, the dog's name was Tangeray. Um, and I thought she was my dog and she was actually just for breeding. Um, and I didn't realize that because I was a young child. And so that's where I first learned the word bitch. So now whenever I hear bitch, that's kind of what happens in my mind as I go back to that moment. Um, I am going to read some poems that I haven't read yet from the book. Um, this one is kind of about, kind of about the, Whenever I use photo of a girl in the book, it means the times that I know for sure that I was femme. And whenever I use photo of X in the book, that means that's when I was like, I don't know, buddy, there might be more. Um, and so you can see that like throughout my childhood, my life, the poems kind of go around the theme of gender and sexuality. Um, photo of X, 1997, something not right, Fort Hood, Texas. I have been wondering if I was a girl, or a boy, or just broken, reaching down into myself with a marker. Fix yourself. Mama found me nagging a dictionary, and she came, a yawning beluga well, self-launched into the air, her nightdress, a white flame pushed up against the flaps of her breast. Mama came for me, her lopsided curls, garden snakes unraveling as she flew from my door to myself and the puddle I made with my questions on the floor. She screeched in the leather face like a strip of land, kissed my neck, assaged my back, bitter, tight, nicked the peach behind my knee, my skin hushed itself into a hum of red and it was the first time I considered bleeding beautiful. I said, fix yourself, but she had to know there was no fixing myself now. So what's interesting is that this is a true story. You know, the first time you get caught masturbating. Um, and when I try to think back to the root of, um, I wouldn't say that I'm hardcore BDSM or anything like that, but 
you know, when you try to look at uh, how your actual sensuality is attached to pain and where those connectors first start, this is a root moment for me. I was like, that wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. That's interesting. I'll try that again, just to make sure. And so that's part of the conversation that I'll be having in more books about how pain is attached to sensuality and how to find the other good parts in that. Um, this is a poem that was analyzed in a podcast, which I'm very happy that they did this because they did such a great um, uh, anal analyzation of it. And I'll try to tag that in the group later. Um, but this is uh, a photo that I have on Facebook of me and my mom and my little sister standing in front of a red car. And we are all wearing matching outfits. And so it's called Photo of a Girl, 1988, Cyborg. Somewhere, Carolina. Standing next to my mama, I mimic the exposure of internal systems, revealing an elegant smile creased white in the brunt of my dark face, blue grease slipping down the side of my neck. My sister coils around her leg, a frame bent by mistake, and together we are tent against the grill of the bleeding velvet hood of a trifling sun-licked Corvette. Mama poses with her hips shut out, with a flesh-eating ammo gossiping beneath the floral print about the irony of carrying a loaded whistle hustled down between her copper rings. And Mama, slash queen, is hyped next to the history machine she will later use to drive us over to Jesus and back to Cali and down to Texas and, 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 and to drive my daddy's specter off a road, a murky dirt road, and over to the other unmarried piston husk men and, and, and back to my hologram of a daddy with his lead-filled heart slash tongue. And I know what I am and will always be. Something that can and will survive a whole century of hunt. And so that poem was uh, written to kind of speak to what it means to, to be not, um, not unfeeling, but to, to kind of like have to put your emotions and your heart to the side often, um, which is something that happens. That's something you have to do uh, as a Black femme. That's something that you have to do as a person of color. You have to kind of sometimes cut off your emotions so you can get things done. Uh, we're not allowed to be in constant mourning. Um, and that is actually kind of low-key the, the frame of this book. I thought I would write a book that talked about all the hard parts and then got to the good parts. And that's not what happened. The book starts with the murder of a young Black femme um, who is catching an Uber ride. And it ends with, you know, us at the graveyard. Um, and so like, it doesn't, it doesn't have a happy ending. And that's, and that's a really important thing for me um, is that some things do not end the way that we hope they do. Um, so now I'm going to read you poems from my new project called Arco. And I'll talk a little bit later about what Arco is. Um, but these are poems that are coming or that have already been published and you just haven't seen them yet. Um, this is one that was an adroit. It is called Still Horses, as soon as I can pull that guy up. Uh, it's one of my new favorite poems, mostly because it um, 
again, is speaking to gender and sexuality, but it's also speaking to the ways in which um, na- we sometimes as writers, we talk about going back to nature and getting back to what's natural and being in the natural world. Um, and I found something very beautiful and natural in the middle of the hood in California. So um, still horses. California's boys rush their mares by the passenger window. My mama keeps pointing out of hiking their front wheels up off the ground. They lean the heavy backs into the hard river of the road, coaxing gravity to knock or not knock them down. They roar and skirt through the bloody light on the backs of stallions, coated in serpy bows of rain, toxic lime and anarchy's mandarin, engine colors slick against the fading fare of all this century streets grim. My mama points out the hood, notes where I was almost buried, under the sick green porches of the ghetto, points out the corner on which my daddy made her my mama and drives silently towards her block and the pictures I didn't bother saving. She points out the highlights for me to remember, where she knew he was a man, where she knew men, where the high school's lawn used to sprawl, but I am only half listening, watching dude next to us jerk his wheels up into the air, his grill angry in the West Coast burn, wondering if I was somewhere he was going. Was I sitting in a house somewhere praying for him to come home, or was I wondering what it felt like to have all that heavy in between my legs? What if I was heavy between the legs? What would it feel like to hang my body from a machine, to feel the trickle of time gaining mass between my skin and shift? So um, that is a poem that I'm really, it's if, I don't know if it's going to be the root poem of the book, but it is um, It is definitely a poem that I keep coming back to when I try to ask myself, is the language that I'm using um, and it's the tone that I'm using um, as, is it pushing me as much as this one pushes me? Um, I want to do one fun one and then one last one. So two more poems. I'm just looking for my fun one. You know, Becca, I'm going to do this one. It's not necessarily a fun one, but it's one that's also true as a poet uh, doing a lot of touring. This is kind of in that realm. My lover wants to know where I am. If I'm in Albuquerque, it is to borrow time as a reclaimed silhouette of woman, singing in my lover's entryway, a cloud heavy over the headboards. Look, I am here now, an ache gyrating through the artist studio in Houston, jerking on a bare-backed rug, my fat breast in my lover's hands like wet bowls of feathers. What smokes more than this? I asked while in Denver, my hips swung around the broken faucet of my lover's neck, cradling the strange howls crawling out of us, my fingers, little spiders climbing out from tight drains. Ask, is it memory, the terror of touch? I myself, a sliding scale of do not or but softly went back to Baltimore with the Sukawa butter and warm showers and flexed heels looking for an answer. I went back to El Paso for its back seats and seasoned bone marrow and unprotected borders. I went back to Columbus for its butter and cream and I never left Los Angeles though I said I would. I went back to Chicago though I said I wouldn't looking for my panties and my moisturizer and my last layer of skin. I never left Colleen with its pumping grunt 
though I said I would, and I know this is the problem, but the truth is sometimes I need the discipline. My lover wants to know where I keep going. When I close my eyes, I say, I am important. Pray for me. I'm in Vegas. Do not call. I am in New York. Please come get me. So there's that poem. And this is going to be my last poem um, before we move to the next part. This is Arco. Uh, this one just came out a couple of days ago in Frontier Poetry Magazine. It's a great magazine for brand new poets. They pay you $50, guys. So you should go and do the things. Um, and we can ask all the questions. This is Arco. In the desert, who I was evaporates in the belly of a long night. Makes it difficult to know exactly when I became a valley, a facility of ghosts. Starved for the heated flicks, the mouth of someone else's sons, sons with my mother's chin, some with my father's knuckles, some with matted fur curving the spoons of their backs, some with hook-shaped cocks, some with alacran azul for throats all ready to glow in the desert. I am a task of breath a bridge of flesh and brine, turning back to watch everything in California burn, a flex of woman. I patrol the lip of a country tired of my mud-caked face, hover over the trail of my own thought and demise, travel south, southwest, listening to the horns of Los Angeles bleed into the expanse, the city's lights trickling off along the smooth, glassy back of the interstate. I ride between Los Angeles and my first death, bury myself in the Chihuahuan tugger, a kind of sorrow, sweating blades of brown grass, sleeping in puddles of hushing grandma, my legs dangling from a bed of dehydrated moons, who we are now, a river of hands, fishing myself up from out of the dirt, who we are now, tired game, wondering, borderless, I ride between Los Angeles and my second death, a desert of flesh, drowning in the Chihuahuan's thirst, a canvas marked through by incessant light, a host of fresh leather cut from the cracked earth's fringe, my wrist a weary flag for weather to chew through. In the desert, who I am, a boy traveling south, southwest, as far as the stars will take me, into the land coughing up all of my names, the skin of the road warm against the bottoms of my black feet turning ash from hunting an extant oxalor. My scars, the red enchanted, a scattering of messages about the end, who I am now, hurled through, soft and affected, makes it easy to know the strategies of the border a gold chain draped around my dark and heavy waist. In the desert, who I was is buried in the shoulders of this Pell State's eviscerated edge. <laughs> All the applause. <laughs> Standing ovations everywhere. <laughs> I'm sorry, we're cheesy. <laughs> I know, I wasn't ready for it. I really wasn't. <laughs> Yo, yo, uh, we have so much we want to talk about today because uh, there's just there's just a lot about you and what you've done and whatnot. But before we get into it, um, this book, where can people find this book? You can find it on Bookshop. 
And Bookshop is really awesome because it supports uh, independent local bookstores. So Bookshop, also you can go look for your independent local bookstore and request a book and they'll order it. Um, you can also go to IndieBound, another place that will allow for you to get um, the book. Uh, and if you would like to support me directly, I am selling signed copies for $20 um, plus shipping and handling and I have 10 left. All right. So I put all those in the in the chat for those of us that are for those of you that are joining us. Um, but like this book is just like I had it in my hand for a while and I tried like reading it like right before going to bed and that was just not working. <laughs> <laughs> this is a like go find a corner, go sit and like sit with this book because it is it is heavy and it is powerful and it is fantastic. So props to you, Katie. Um, Thank you. Phenomenal. Um, Rooster and I were talking before this interview and thinking back, like, I've known you since, say, like, 2006-ish. Mm -hmm. uh, and I got to tell you, you're one of the poets that, like, there is, there is a memory burned in my brain of your voice, you know, and just seeing you on stage and just like, back in the day, back, back in the day, <laughs> you know, and yeah. like, move me, you know, like, you were a powerhouse of, of a poet from way back when uh, to now being, you know, editor-in-chief of, of Borderlands. And, it, and, you know, from an outside perspective, it can seem like almost a straight shot, but it's been a journey, you know? Uh, you've done it all, you know? And I think that's kind of how we want to take today's conversation and go through that journey. So I'd love it if we could start with you know, 2006, back then, like, what got you into poetry, the slam scene? Like, where did you start? And, and how did that start to flourish? You know? Yeah, um, I wrote a, a tiny little piece for a journal called Color Block, which is just for queer, writer, uh, queer writers of color. So you guys should go check out Color Block. But it talks about the very first time I did slam, I got snuck into a bar uh, called Egos off of Riverside in yeah. Austin in 2003. I was 17 years old and I would wait outside the bar. Uh, my original reason for wanting to slam was it was free time to be on stage and I could practice my acting skills because mm. um, I was going to be an actress, right? Um, and I could write my own monologues. That's amazing. Uh, obviously, it never, it never stayed that way. And I learned that poetry is a lot more than writing a monologue. Um, but Shannon Lee, um, her mother, Sheila, Sheila is the one who snuck me into uh, the Austin Poetry Slam. And then I went over to Neil Soul, and uh, that was community, that was fam, Michelle Desiree, Brian Francis, uh, Joe B. Um, and I just kind of came up as the youngin in that group. I was always the youngin. And so to, by 2006, I still hadn't made my first team. I'd been doing it for three years. Hadn't made my first team. Made my first team in 2007. Uh, second team in 2008 was the Austin Poetry Slam in 2000. Austin Poetry Slam champion in 2009 was the Austin Woman of the World representative for 2009, 2010, and 2000. I think 12. Mm -hmm. So it's and that's actually technically the last year I really slammed was 2012. I slammed a little bit in between them, but pretty much 2012. Yeah, it was, uh, it was one of those things where like you start little by little and like I had a similar issue where it was like I was too young to get into egos and so like Christopher Lee would sneak me in the back. 
<laughs> you know, it's like where is Christopher Lee? Tell me. He's still in Austin. He's still is in he? <laughs> I haven't seen him forever. Doing his thing, you know. So yeah, growing up in the slam, in the slam scene, Andy. kind of like appreciate the the dynamics of voice, you know, and and what you can do with voice and performance. And it's not just voice, it's voice body. Like body, body work, when, when you think about comedy, they talk about physical comedy and they talk about like, you know, just kind of straightforward comedy. And it was the same thing for slam. Body was used so much more, I think, earlier on. And it's so de-emphasized now, at least in what I've seen. Mm -hmm. But you had such a distinct voice back then. And even hearing you now doing your poems, like you haven't lost that distinction, that uniqueness, like your voice has stayed true over the past 15 years, you know? It's gone a little bit. I smoke more now, but <laughs> that's gonna change. That's about to change. It has to change. I'm working on a second album, it has to change. <laughs> Cut down. So then Rooster met you, what, what was it, like 2011? 2010, 2011-ish, because I was, around the time I started, you were one of the first people who I met who had been doing it for like a while and kind of very well established and you were definitely someone who I looked at as like uh kind of like a mentor from afar seeing like what you you were doing and and and, and your talent and, and how and I, I completely agree with Chibi the way you would use voice and body completely you um around that same time too I also really remember that was when uh you like sold all your stuff and then just went on tour for like a really long time and like there were a few poets doing that but I remember you specifically doing it um how was tour life in that early 2010 2011 kind of you know frame yeah so um it's interesting that Chippy said 2006 2007 is when I met the person who would be my fiance Ray um and then he died in 2010 mm-hmm. and so by the time we got to 2011 I was ending my first year in grad school. I was kind of still mourning uh, and I was just tired of everything. And I was like, fuck it, I'm going on the road. Um, I don't have any money, sold everything. I left town, it sounds really fancy, like, oh, I sold everything. I left town with like $500 because that's how much I, (laughs) (laughs) that's how much I owned was $500 worth of shit. Um, And I was on the road for three months. I did 23 cities during that time. I caught a Greyhound, a Megabus, the Amtrak, um, and I went from here to New York. Hmm. So uh, I did go west a little bit. So I did go to Albuquerque, Taos. Um, I feel like there's one other. Oh, um, Las Vegas. Boston. I remember and then, you went to the Green Mill, right? I did definitely go to the Green Mill. And that was like going to the Mecca back then, mm-hmm. right? It was before we had problematic. issues Um, (laughs) but you know I'm trying not to be afraid of the monsters uh back before Mark Smith was being an asshole Mm -hmm. um I mean I'm sure it's been a like a trend but uh at the beginning of time with Mark Smith uh so it was like being like going to Mecca because the way that Mark Smith introduced me for that particular show was like and now we have one of the slam greats I was like, Mark Smith, you're not allowed to say that at the Green Mill when I'm about to feature. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it was life-changing going to Chicago. I went to Boston that year. Um, I went to, so what happened in Taos, 
I actually spent some time with a couple of poets and they ended up getting me the feature at the New Eureka Cafe in New York. So I, my plan was to just go to these cities and show up at their open mics, mm-hmm. book whatever you can, or just show up and do their <laughs> open mics and sell your CDs, which is what I did when I went to DC and Baltimore. Um, I showed up and I was a kid from Texas wearing jeans and long t-shirts at these fancy uh, busboys and poets <laughs> restaurants <laughs> where everybody gets dressed up to go to poetry. Uh-huh. Right. Uh, and I had to wait outside the door because they were packed because I didn't buy a ticket. And I was like, I didn't know I was supposed to buy a ticket. I'm from Texas. I have a backpack. Who shows up to the show in a backpack? I've li- This is everything I have with me. I just wanted to come and see if I get on the list. And he was like, it's packed in there. A person came out, so the guy snuck me in. Um, and this is, I wish, I hope that poets know they can do this. Um, I snuck past the bar and I snuck past everybody and just kind of like, you know, wiggled my way to behind the stage because Busboys and Poets, at least in the location I went to, had a full stage with a backstage. Mm-hmm. And I snuck my way into the backstage and I was like, look, I'm from out of town. I know you have a full list. I know that everybody's already signed up. It's not a slam, it's an open mic. If, if, if you could just let me do one poem and if you like my one poem, can I do another one? I'll check with you first. If you don't like it, if you think I should get off stage, I will. And uh, it was obvious I wasn't from in town and he let me do that one poem and the crowd went wild. So I looked at him and I was like, he's like, mm-hmm. yeah, do another one. I did my second, my second piece and um, I sold out of every single CD I had on me at that time, which was like $200 worth of CDs, which was big when you're on the road. Right. That was definitely a time where that was the move, was like travel, like bring your, make your own chat books, like make I had a flies. CD burner. Uh, <laughs> that yeah. goes bold and staple. <laughs> like, and, I, and, and, and what blew my mind was I was just so happy. I left the venue crying and I was sitting at the bus stop because I still had to catch the city bus to get to my next location, right? Cause I didn't have anywhere to go. I was sleeping at the bus station. I had nowhere to stay. Um, and a woman came running outside and she handed me a check. And I was like, I'm so sorry. I'm out of CD. She's like, I didn't ask you that. Here's a check for your, for your, your talents. And a lot of little moments like that happened. By the time I got to New York, my plan had been when I left was that I'm going to New York one way or another. I'm going to do the open mics. I don't give a fuck. I can just show up for an open mic. I can be there extra early. I ain't got nowhere to be. I don't live here. Um, but because of the connections that I made and the shows I did prior to I got to New York, uh, when I finally did get there, it was the last stop of my tour officially. And my name was in the marquee. And I went outside to have a cigarette and I'm looking up at the New York Cafe and my name's in the marquee and Mahogany Brown is hosting the show. And I'm, I'm just crying, right? Uh, yeah. Lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of tears. Yeah. Because um, I thought I would come through some other way to New York and I made a way and we got there one way or the other. So. Yeah. Touring can be one of the most um, self-fulfilling and validating experience of, of a poet's life. Uh, but to be clear, it is not easy. <laughs> at all oh no and like uh, now now it's so different like i'm not like the old guy like get off my lawn about it but like now there's so much networking and social media and like connecting and like got a house for you here got a house for you here and like shit that did not exist so like look 
you and Joe B were like out on like. And do you park- remember? Do you remember couch? What is it? What was it called? Couch. Uh, couch couch surf- surfing. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. yeah. I actually did that shit. I lost a whole half a bag of clothes on that tour. I lost in the, in Indiana. I lost half a suitcase to bed bugs. Oh, <laughs> from the couch. The things they don't tell you about in MFA. <laughs> <laughs> I lost half of my shit to bed bugs. I also went down to the freaking uh, what was it called? Uh, Kentucky Fried Chicken, and it was open, and they was out of chicken. What? And this had never happened to me before. And I was so upset because I could afford the chicken. I was like, yes, we about to eat today. Uh-huh. And I get there. I've never been as black as I was at that moment. I was like, what the fuck are you doing open? Why are you? I was so angry. You got one job. One job. <laughs> I can't get a cigarette, but I can get some fucking chicken. And you ain't got no chicken. Oh, man. It was a lot. Um, that trip. Don't know. <laughs> you know, hashtag Popeye's chicken sandwich. Like, what? <laughs> It, it tour is one of those things that if you can do it, you should. And when I say can, if you have a week or two, um, and you can go anywhere and get back in time, um, I do not advise this, but technically you can drive to Canada and be back within seven days. Mm-hmm. I don't advise it. <laughs> I did it last summer. But it's possible, is all I'm saying. It's possible to go all the way to Canada, do three shows, one on each night, and come back in seven days. There's no excuse not to go and at least hit up the open mic and see what it's like in other cities. Because yeah. um, you'll learn about yourself and you'll learn about how, how far are you willing to go mm-hmm. for your art. Are you willing to pee in the bushes? Yeah. It's because very- there's no bathroom? <laughs> there's nothing more humbling than... <laughs> by car, by bus, or anything like that. Like, it's a very humbling, humbling, humbling experience. Yeah, anything, uh-huh. is, anything is possible. And you, I think, are one of the, the poets, one of the people that have proven that, like, anything is possible. You just gotta do the grind. You gotta do the work to get there, you know? Um, I'm curious, what were, when you were coming up, what were some of the people that, like, helped you kind of mold and like guided you through the experience of like coming up in the poetry scene and you know like moving you in that direction um so in the very 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 beginning um it was Sheila right because Sheila brought me in uh it's funny that you say Chris because Chris was definitely like one of the poets I was like I just want to be that loose Mm-hmm. in terms of not holding back in what I say and how I express myself. Like my, my, my gender sexuality wasn't something I was able to fully embrace at that time in my life. Yeah. But I was like, man, I wish I didn't hold back as much as I do seeing how he works. Andy Buck. <laughs> <laughs> I just love that his name like brings the giggles to everyone. It's Andy Buck, if you ever see this, was arrogant cis white male um but what he taught me was if you want it come and get it Mm -hmm. and that's how he was every step of the way if you want this title come and get this title because I'm not going to stop just because you're not having a good day I'm not going to stop doing what I'm doing because you're not having a good day I got a goal in mind and so he was the first time that I was like oh I have to be better than you 
I have to be willing to work just as hard as you. I have to be willing to go in just as much as you, no matter what's happening. Uh, Mike Henry, who was running the Austin Poetry Slam when I first started, um, uh, obviously Donnie, Danny Strack, um, who taught me a lot about humor and taught me a lot about um, vulnerability. Um, Brian Francis, who just <laughs> sweating and, gives the and best. doing the things and walking around the crowd and learning how to move off stage um, and how to not be tied to the mic was a really big thing because that lets me know that I can perform in any setting. And sometimes that's necessary. Um, so there were so many people who showed me little bits and things um, about, I'll never forget Tony's, uh, I can't remember his last name now, but Tony, the black coat. Um, <laughs> you know, there were so many times that I learned bits and pieces from people. Rachel McKibbins, there's a style of slam that people do now. It's very subtle and it's very soft-spoken, and there's no theatrics, and its root is in Rachel McKibbins, and you can't deny that, because there was definitely a particular style to slam, and Rachel McKibbins came, she did it at an underground slam, and then she did it at the, that year's slam, and won every fucking thing, and ever since then, people have, in some ways, embodied it, Anish Mojani, you know, people have started to embody that subtle, uh, vulnerable, quiet, this isn't a show or a performance, although it definitely absolutely is, right? Yeah. Just um, even a piece of your heart, you know, just here's, here's Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, Shannon Lee, uh, who was younger than I was and beating my ass on every front. Brave New Voices, the Austin Slam, just beating my ass every single time. Every single time. Mm -hmm. um, but again, it was the challenge. Being challenged by these people made me work harder because they were working. It wasn't natural. It didn't come easily. They put in extra hours of practice. They, before the show, they prepared like it was a show. Mm -hmm. Like it wasn't just a hangout, it's a show. And I'm prepared, I'm wearing the right clothes. I've practiced this amount of hours this week. I've memorized this amount of stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and somebody's gonna walk away with extra money to pay bills this week. I'm going to do the thing. And so if anything, Shannon um, was also someone who just kind of pushed me. There's a lot of people I can name in this scene. Oh, yeah. That's just I'll Austin. I'm only talking about Austin. <laughs> a whole <laughs> lot of people. Um, going along with that idea of like spurring you along, because after, I know sort of like shortly after that short life and after uh, all that work, you, you had already done like a, a lot of work by the time I met you. And then shortly after the touring, it went into like going to get your MFA and completing that. Um, talk about that a little bit, like the transition from like, like I don't know, were there slam lessons you learned that sort of like kind of helped you in this different space in academia? And like, I know there's like, you know, academia has its own problems and, and issues, but I don't know, maybe talk about that a little bit. Yeah, so 2010, um, January 2010 is when Gabrielle Boulain died. Um, and Gabrielle Boulain asked me to tell her how the story ended, which is not fair to ask anybody when you're on your deathbed is to ask them, how does your story end? Just tell me, like I'm supposed to know. Um, but I said I would, you know, be a world renowned writer, um, and I would get my master's degree and my doctorate and I would do this, that, and third. Um, that happened in January, 2010. My fiance died in April, 2010. I went to jail in May 2010. 
I got out of jail in July 2010, and then I started grad school in August 2010. Needless to say, by the time I started grad school, the MFA program at Texas State, I was not in a good place, Mm -hmm. mentally, emotionally, spiritually, none of that. Um, And it didn't help that I was the only Black femme in the program as a student at that time. Um, And it played out who was from a spoken word background, right? right? Everybody else had studied Dickens and had studied Williams, Carlos Williams, and knew all these poets and all of these fancy names. And I was like, I know Patricia Smith. Right. But I didn't know everybody. I hadn't read everything. And I didn't come from a background of having published. Like publishing felt like a sin, to be honest. (laughs) As a like underground poet, it felt like a sin to publish. It was like, you're not going to really publish. Um, and so there was a lot I had to face in that first uh, couple of years of that program. Um, went on tour in 2011. Uh, I got pregnant in early 2012, which would have been the beginning of my um, defense. Like I would have been getting ready for my MFA thesis. Um, and I chose to drop out because I was giving birth to a little girl. Um, and when I gave birth to that little girl and she got adopted by two poets in Chicago, um, I decided that life was too short and I would never be in a financial place again where I wouldn't be able to take care of a little person or myself. Cause I couldn't do it financially. Then I couldn't do it mentally, emotionally, or spiritually. Then it wasn't, I wasn't ready to be a mother or parent and I wasn't going to do that. And I'm glad I didn't. I'm very happy with my decision. Um, I don't know if you guys know, I actually made that decision at the women of the world Poetry slam for 2012. Um, That's when we, that's when we had that conversation with that whelps and anybody who was at whelps that years know that that's what happened. (laughs) I got there and I didn't know who was going to be, what was going to happen. And by the time we left, there was a baby mama and a baby daddy. Um, but after I got back from giving birth uh, in November of 2012, I decided that I was just gonna work. And I worked from um, at a call center as an inbound sales agent from 2013 until 2017. And I just wanted to make money, that's it. We never gonna struggle again. We gonna make this money. We're going to get a car. We're going to get a house. We're not going to ever be in that position again where we have to make a decision about someone else's life because whatever decision I made makes an impact on that other person's life. I'm, that's never going to happen again. And I thought that that meant that I couldn't be an artist. Mm-hmm. Um, but thankfully, Patricia Smith called me up, said, did you know you could apply to this low residency MFA program? You don't have to leave your job. You can still learn from writers. You can still learn all the things you want to learn. And I took a chance and it just so happens that it was in the mountains where it snows, Lake <laughs> Tahoe, where all the rich motherfuckers go. And I'm not joking or kidding. All these rich motherfuckers live in a million dollar home surround uh. this little ass university. Uh, Cause the university campus is not even bigger than like UT's. I'm trying to figure out what y'all know. Jester Hall. Like, no. <laughs> it's not. It's not huge at all, right? I can make it across campus in 10 minutes, and that's the whole campus. Um, and I was going up there once a semester for 10 days, and then they took me to Jamaica because that's what you do in an MFA program when it's low residency. 
right? We just gonna take you out the country because we believe you should learn about other countries. Okay. Why not? Why not? I'm just gonna learn from Carolyn Forche. And if y'all don't know who Carolyn Forche is, you need to go and look her up. Learn. Dope historic poet. I'm just gonna sit there and drink, you know, wine with her. Uh, her and Patricia Smith, who I've looked up to since day one, literally since 2003, been like, that's the goal. Um, I, I'm i going to learn from these poets. Uh, I don't know if you guys know Rebecca Mackay. Do y'all know who Rebecca Mackay is? Not a poet. She wrote a um, National Book Award winning uh, book, Pulitzer Prize finalist book. Uh, and I learned grammar <laughs> <laughs> from her in Jamaica whilst drinking Jamaican drinks. I can't tell you what I was drinking. I just know I was drinking it because... I'm in Jamaica drinking and learning the stuff I want to learn. Yeah. Um, and to be honest, that whole transition just showed me that, A, there was a way to make a living as a writer. Yeah. I just was not willing to make the sacrifices needed to do that. Um, and there was no shame in wanting to be great at my art to wanting to be great at my craft. There's no shame in saying it doesn't necessarily work for the stage, but if I read it in a quiet room by myself, it works. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's yeah. not meant for me to yell. It's not meant for me to perform for you. It's not gonna be in three minutes. It's not gonna be in four or five minutes. This bitch is gonna go as long as it needs to go. Yeah. It might be one or two sentences, but this bitch is gonna do what it's gonna do and I don't have to worry about um, anyone's applause at the end of it, right? right? So that is the long and short of what I learned. Let's, uh, let's dive into that for just a minute, because Rooster and I were just having this exact conversation, I think yesterday, about like, how do we take what we've been doing for so long, right? You know, this three minute and 10 seconds, this, this format, right? And then how do we transition that into a feasible career? You know, how, how do you make a lifelong uh, project out of what started as, you know, a game, right? Yeah. What, what, are, what are your thoughts on that? It's still a game. <laughs> Let's not be confused. It's, okay. still, it's still a fucking game. Yeah. You'll very quickly, if you spend any time just looking at, the top journals and yes there's a list of top journals and then you see who's popping off who's published in this that and the third regularly who just won this award and look mm -hmm. at their resume when you read my resume like when you read that bio it says published in poetry magazine published in poetry daily published in american poetry review published in this that and the third I learned all those names by looking at someone else's bio. Mm -hmm. I didn't know who the fuck they were. No teacher said you should publish here. No one said apply here. I just looked at their bios. I was like, what is that? Oh, that looks like it's really hard. I'm going to try. Okay. And I'm going to keep trying until I get published. I'm going to keep trying until it happens. And you'll find out that the ones who have been established for a longer period of time, which is Poetry Review, which is American, American Poetry Review was established in 1970-something. Mm -hmm. uh, Poetry Magazine was established somewhere in the 1900s. Like, 
the longer they've been around and the more money that goes into it, one poem in Poetry Magazine is $300. Everybody and their mama want to get published. And if only a couple of people get published, then that raises your quote unquote value in the community. Mm-hmm. And I talk about money very often in literature because I come from a low income background. Mm-hmm. I love poetry. I'd do it for free if I could, but I have to eat. Something's got to keep the lights on. <laughs> and this is whiskey and I like it <laughs> and it costs money. And you know, I like to go out sometimes. I like to wear clothes. What? Yeah. And we like health insurance and th- other things that people got. Like I like health insurance. I got health insurance for the first time in four years mm-hmm. this year. Like it's, I have to talk about money and I have to talk about career and what that looks like for me as a writer. Mm-hmm. So these are strategies, right? This is part of what I'm going to teach in my classes. Yeah. Uh, promo. Hey. The class is coming up and we're going to talk about how to get away with publishing. Mm. that's the name of the class how to get away with publishing um because there is a strategy um yes you need to learn how to write and yes you do need to focus on your craft and that's a whole nother thing um but you can be the best writer in the world and if you don't publish Mm. what's the point yeah exactly and like just for me like uh, you and i just have to thank you just off rip because like i've i've been fortunate enough to kind of see you go through this and struggles and thankfully you've been someone who I've considered a friend for a long time so I've been there to kind of just you know give you love and appreciation and stuff like that along the way and like um I do see you as one of these sort of like trailblazers maybe unheralded I'll say it like I think you're an unheralded trailblazer (laughs) I'm so serious like I have seen you go through like for the people who are here listening to this story like this is like years of struggle and ups and downs and like she said, like you, sometimes you have to give up your, your art to make money or to get health insurance and things like that. So I've just been very fortunate to see you where you're at now, but it kind of leads to the next question because, you know, you have the book, uh, you have your next project, Argo on deck. What else is, what else is like the future like, like with all that sort of behind you now, like how do you feel about the future? What are you thinking is, is, is on the horizon? So, um, Here's the, here's the thing to know about Hood Witch. Hood Witch took 10 years. This took, this took 10 years. The oldest poem in this book is 10 years old, um, which means it, the first part of it was written in that first semester of grad school when I was in a, prog- a program of mostly white cis people um, who didn't like my ass, right? Because I did spoken word. Uh, in fact, there was one who wrote some shit on my poems in class. And passed it to me like it was okay and it wasn't okay mm-hmm. um it took 10 years to get this and i feel like i'm behind because i'm 34 and i feel like i'm behind in the game and i'm not behind in the game because your favorite anybody got started late uh, i know people keep talking about uh jk rowling but also think uh ava duvernay who didn't right. start directing stuff until she was in her 30s mm-hmm. it's not too late to, you think that poem was shit. It might not be shit. Maybe you just needed a minute to process it and get back to it and dedicate some time to it. And then you're like, oh, this wasn't shit. I just need to do some editing and figure it out. Mm-hmm. Um, the poem that's coming out in Poetry Magazine next month is a poem that's already in this book. <laughs> <laughs> because this book got published so fast. I signed the contract in 2018, November, and the book was out less than a year later. It was out in October 2019. And that is super fast 
do not get confused. If you signed a contract, it could take up to two years, sometimes three, to have your book on a shelf. And imagine what you can do with three years worth of time. Yeah. A whole lot of shit. Yeah. Right? So when I say that I'm working on my next project, Arco, um, I'm going to, I know y'all didn't ask this question. I'm just going to tell you real quick. Come on. Um, Right of Return USA is a fellowship opportunity that is only for previously incarcerated people. When they say previously incarcerated, it can be one night in Mm. jail. I feel like somebody I know has done that. (laughs) It could be three nights. Like it can be three nights. Like previously incarcerated means that you know what it is to have your life completely disrupted by chains and by cages. um, If you have been detained, like there are opportunities for you. This is one of them. What makes this one in particular special, and I'm by no means saying I'm rich, so don't ask me for nothing. I don't have a job right now, and I need you to buy books, and I need you to buy my services because we're not rich. Mm-hmm. But what this opportunity has allowed is $20,000 to create a project that will live in the world. This is something you will see on the site, so it's not like hitting information. It's information you can read on the site when you apply. Um, to give you context, the Pulitzer Prize awards $15,000. That's heavy. The big Pulitzer Prize, $15,000 for a book of poetry. Uh, the, what's another famous one that y'all know? National Book Awards, $10,000. Mm-hmm. National Poetry Series, $10,000. The National Poetry Slam, $1,000. <laughs> We're not going to talk about that. Right? <laughs> I'm just saying. Look, I'm just saying. That's a can of worms, all right? We're not going there. <laughs> it's a whole other. Uh, I'm just saying, like, there is funding that is available to you. I can. I, I said I can. I'm going to show you all my class. That's why you got to take the class, right? Hey. Uh, I'm going to show you in the class how to find all the grants that exist for writers, that exist for artists that are doing many things. The Project Arco is a full-length book of poetry, a full-length album that's based off of the book of poetry. (laughs) It's a full photo uh, series that's built off of the album. Mm -hmm. And then it's a full-length documentary that's built off of everything. Mm -hmm. The poem Arco is going to incorporate every single tool that I know how to use Uh, In particular, I'm using the tools that everybody else has. And I'm doing this because I'm speaking very particularly about the low-income background. If you have nothing else, you have a fucking cell phone, right? And you can change your whole life with this, right? You might have a computer. If you have a computer, if you're watching this, you have some sort of device that you can access. And that device can change your whole freaking life. Mm -hmm. That's it. I I don't have a car right now. I haven't been to Austin or San Antonio in a minute. Like, I don't have everything, but I have at least this. And if I have this, I can do this. Mm-hmm. And that's part of the, the theory behind it. Obviously, I'm talking about breaking down the carceral system. I'm talking about what it means to be deeply affected by policies, um, because all of us are. Every little element of our life is affected by policy. And I'm trying to show the connection between policy and the personal. Mm-hmm. Um, Everything from what I wear, what I eat, 
where I live, all of that's directed by policy. And I'm gonna talk about that in a very intimate way. I'm gonna talk about migration that's based by uh, based in the carceral system. So you can be arrested in California and sent out to Texas. You can be arrested in Austin and sent out to Houston. It's all fucked up that you will literally be moved across spaces due to the carceral system, but you can't even cross the border to get safety. Like, mm-hmm. what the fuck? There are so many things and tiny elements that I'm, I'm trying to integrate into the project. It's a long project. Uh, I foresee it going through 2021. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's very possible that's going to happen for a long time. But you asked a very particular question, what's the next project? Because mm-hmm. there are two. Oh, after all this, <laughs> y'all cross y'all fingers on hashtag turn, which is my full length memoir. Uh, it's a series of essays about my experiences in 2010 through 2020, um, focusing on the hashtag activism that's happened. I've been around since Facebook was created. I've been around since Twitter and Instagram was created. And I can tell you everything that every major event that happened from Sean Bell to um, the people that we lost in the last week. I can tell you exactly how social media impacted how we live our day-to-day lives. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's that book. Y'all cross y'all fingers. Here we go. 2023. Uh Yeah. Nonfiction, bitch. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) To uh, quote Sierra, uh, level up. Level up, level up, level up. Here we go. You don't know how, that's my, that's one of my, that's one of my ritual songs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. We it all, really, truly is. We all need that kind of like you know. I have a playlist called YDB, which stands for You That Bitch. That like, yeah. we just need that motivation of like these songs that just like you know what? No, fuck everyone else. Like you that bitch. Like we gonna do this shit. Yeah. When I tell people about Hoodwitch, Hoodwitch was written during a very large spell that lasted for at least three months. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I say it's a spell, I mean most of the edits were done. And edits are your friends, okay? They're your friend. <laughs> it's my favorite part of the writing process. Yeah, you can have a good idea, but if you don't edit that bitch. Um, editing is my favorite part. While I was editing this book, I did a three-month spell. In that spell, I had some very specific things, and I talked uh, very intimately about who I'm going to meet because I worked my ass off to get there. I model my career, not my hobby, not my little art thing, my career off of the people who I look up to. I model it after Oprah in some aspects, uh, Beyonce in some aspects, uh, Michelle Obama in some aspects, Ava DuVernay. And I have a list of people that I said, oh, I'm going to meet them one day. I'm not even tripping. One day, I'm going to meet Beyonce. Mm-hmm. She already used a whole poet. I don't know if y'all know from Lemonade. She used a whole poet that poet had only published one book and she was under the age of 30 at the time that Beyonce released that album. Mm-hmm. She used the whole poet's book to do her album. Mm-hmm. Best believe that poet is set for life. Yeah. I look, I only need one moment. Let me go ahead and get, let me get my shit together because I can do that. Yeah. Um, and so I look at their careers and I look at the moves that they made. And I said, am I willing to work as hard when I say I'm going to quit smoking? Um, when I say I got to lose weight, it's not because I'm vain. It's not because I'm trying to look cute for the masses. It's more to do with, can I handle shows seven days a week, X amount of hours a day a week? Because that's what we're trying to get. 
with a fucked up sleep schedule too. Because when you are touring, <laughs> you have like, to be, like lit at 10 p.m. at like, night. That's difficult. This, like, this is nice, but this is this is gonna have to be a once a week occurrence, right? <laughs> I can't I can't drink regularly. I, I'm yeah. not gonna be able to eat the way I'm used to, and there are certain things I might have to give up. Um, and sometimes that's translated to not necessarily having personal relationships with a lot of people. I've had some people, you know, uh, be upset that I'm not willing to do the romantic thing or not willing to do the friendship thing as well as I would, or not even the family thing. And I'm just kind of like, I love y'all. Trust me, I do. Um, but I'm not trying to just get a nice house and get a nice car and get settled. We trying to do it all so that the next generation will have something mm -hmm. to get started with. Yeah, we go in places and building things. We, we, um, Borderlands, Texas Portrait Review, if you guys don't know, we have published 10 out of 11 of the last Texas Poet Laureates. Mm. People who have been published in our journal has been finalists for the Pulitzer Prize. They've been finalists for the National Book Awards. They've been a finalist for every poetry award you can think of. The Guggenheim, the Lennon Foundation, all the big prizes, which you'll learn about if you come to my class, uh, <laughs> all the big prizes that have existed that have provided funding for artists, um, Border, Borderlands has published those people since 1992. Mm -hmm. um, and I had a vision. You would know, Chibi, before Rooster would know, because I had this vision a long time ago. I said, I want to have a foundation where I can help young artists who don't have access to traditional resources get access to those resources. I want to help me get there faster. Mm -hmm. What can I give this 70-year-old no. me that I didn't have? Yeah, there's no, there's no like, uh, uh, like for music, for musicians, for instance, there's like a record industry to break into. Like poetry is really not like that. It's just camps and cities and, you know, collections of writers and stuff like that. And I think, again, just going back to you, you have been exceptional about that. Because I remember years ago, you told me like, I'm considering moving to Houston or Chicago or these places, but you did all this shit from San Marcos, Texas. And you kind of really showed me, it's really the hustle and the phone yeah. and what the fuck you got to like put your voice out there. And you have always been exceptional about that to me. Like, and it's, and it's, and, and it starts, it starts with, when I started my company in 2017 and it failed, my company failed in the first year. Uh, like all businesses, they have struggles and most businesses will fail in the first year. My business failed in the first year. Um, and I said, I cannot help other artists get paid and live sustainably. And when I say sustainably, that includes uh, health care, that includes having a house and transportation, that includes having a savings account. That includes you want to go to the movies and you got the extra to go and that's not even a worry. Like, if I can't help you get there until I know who to talk to, I have to go find out who to talk to. I need that connect. Mm -hmm. And all the work that I do now, yeah, it looks like it's just about me, but it really isn't. It has everything to do with the fact that, yeah, I have the Kirkus Review editor's number in my phone. Mm -hmm. If y'all don't know what the Kirkus Review is, um, if you publish a book, you want a Kirkus Review star, right? That's just interesting. Mm -hmm. uh, I can't help you get into all of these festivals and get paid $2,000 and $10,000 and $15,000 for mm 
for a speaking gig, not even a workshop, just for a speaking gig for an hour, one hour until I get paid that, right? Because I can tell you how to do it. Yeah. I can't tell you how to do it if I ain't done it. Um, some news I wanted to share with you guys that just happened. Uh, the Texas Commission for the Arts, our Texas Commission on the Arts, has accepted me into the Texas touring roster. Hey. You heard my it. New, <laughs> you heard it here first, and my new fee starts at $2,000. Hey. That's right. So y'all should book her as well. <laughs> <laughs> for something think- like, I'm not going to charge up. <laughs> y'all not being charged that, right? Uh, there are a couple of people who aren't being charged that. But what I'm saying is, like, I couldn't, I couldn't tell you how to get on the same roster that your favorite country singer or your favorite uh, opera singer from Texas or your favorite actress from Texas or your mm-hmm. favorite any art-type person from Texas is on so that they're advertised to every school and college, every business, every every community that's looking for somebody to come and represent diversity or whatever, I can't tell you about how to get on that list until I get on the list. Yeah. Yeah. We getting on the list. Yeah. It's not about me. It's about what can we do in the long run? And so even Borderlands, I came on and there were three of us and now we have a staff of 17 people. It's mostly queer. It's mostly a color. And I'm proud about that. Mm-hmm. Right. Fuck because yeah. the publishing industry is not kind to people of color, not que- not kind to queer people. Mm-hmm. Um, it's creating. They're trying to. It's we're in a strange moment. Like they're trying to fix it, but they're not being very successful at it. Um, and so, uh, part of my job was I'm gonna give as much access as I can to as many people as I can. Um, and I'm not going to be nice about it. So, like, you still got to work. Don't just send me something through my mail. Like, go look at my website. Go look at the requirements and follow the directions. This is a part of your training. If you want to be a professional, follow the direction. Read the requirements. Do all the little stuff I'm telling you because that's what's going to get you paid. Mm-hmm. You can't just hit me up anymore, guys. I love you guys. Don't send me no DM. <laughs> you got to do the work. You got to do the work. Yeah. Don't send no. me no DMs. Please hit up my submission form on my website. <laughs> and I think you you are living proof of someone who has done the work, you know, from uh, being snuck into a bar in Austin to editor-in-chief of Borderlands Texas Poetry Review. I think it is no, uh, it is not... A, an exaggeration to call you a trailblazer and someone who has really, you know, like lived the life and carved a path for others to follow. So uh, thank you for everything. <laughs> and really, uh, it's been a joy and a privilege to be part of that ride in some way to have seen you grow through the years. And I never made it to Lubbock. You were in Lubbock, right? I never made it. I, I was never in Lubbock. Laredo. Laredo. <laughs> Other and side of the state. Okay, I had cousins in Laredo, and I never fucking made it. And I was like, I'm going to go. It never happened. I was like, well, uh, we can't, Laredo can't afford $2,000, but. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's. <laughs> you got to. Like, whatever. $2,000 is the charging price. If your organization or your program can afford that, do that. And if you cannot, let's talk. 
we talk. Yeah. Um, but this, remember, I need to pay the bill. So this has been that's it. That's all. <laughs> such an inspiring and such a phenomenal conversation. And I think personally for me and for Rooster too, a trip down memory lane. Um, mm -hmm. So thank you so much for, for being a part of this and for agreeing to come on uh, and for uh, dropping those pearls of wisdom throughout the past hour. Um, and Can I say one more thing? Yeah. I just want to say one more thing. Um, my love for the San Antonio Porsche Slings is something I didn't expect because I was raised in the Austin Porsche Slings. Mm -hmm. uh, I didn't spend a whole lot of time in San Antonio in my early years. But San Antonio has stayed so true to themselves on every front. Um, every mic I hit and every mic that I see from a distance, I see you guys doing the work to make sure you're staying true to yourselves no matter what. And I appreciate that about you. I think that um, if you are a poet in the scene or a writer in the scene, because I'm not going to assume all of y'all just want to be poets. Sometimes you want to be more than that. And that's okay. Um, if you are an artist in that scene, uh, not everything is going to be perfect and not everybody's going to be great. But take advantage of this moment because it's going to pass. It's going to pass. Not everything will stay the same. People change. Lives change. Organizations change. Uh, but I appreciate San Antonio. And I really hope that writers understand that what you do in the dark can come to the light. So treat people, right? Yeah. We'll find out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll find out. And if you want to make it, you can. It's just going to take longer. and It's going gonna, it's gonna to require a lot of work. But as long as you're willing to pull in that work, you got it. That's it. That's my two cents. San yeah. <laughs> I like Puto Slam is where I first got cussed out on the mic. I love it. Hey! <laughs> no, it's true. I remember because I came up in Austin too. Uh, <laughs> but like, I would travel down to San Antonio all the time for the slams because like it was just raw and real down here. Look, I was looking forward to it. I was like, this is what Mark Smith said. He expected you to get cursed the fuck out. Mm -hmm. Your job. Is to distract the people who are drunk at the bar who don't give a fuck about you being here. That is your whole job, yeah. right? It's to distract the fuck out of them. Hashtag so. dome. And, you know, <laughs> they don't know. They don't know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Eddie Hoosel. Um, we'll talk about um, where people can find uh, what you're up to in the future and sign up for your classes in a minute. But if you would please just do us the honor and close us out with one final poem. Um, ladies and gentlemen, Baylita Hicks, y'all. I'm gonna do the very first poem since we started with the very last poem of the book. I'm gonna do the very first poem of the book. Um, and when I say black again, I mean B-L-X-C-K. I mean all women of color. Um, my heart's really been on Susana Chavez. If you don't know who Susana Chavez is, please go look up that poet from the Ciudad de Juarez. So this is my poem. About the girl who would become a god. One, you must remember that you are a god. It started, a coffee-rimmed face glowing through the screen, crowning the bleached walls of a tiny room in gold. Let your fears go for now, but fear, an itch behind the left earlobe, irritates her for the rest of the night, makes her out of mind and out of sight, just another black woman from the university, another know-it-all 
woke-ass type. She been trying to get seen without getting got. Wants to be remembered for more than the ripped stitch of her first name. Thick with the acrylic clicks of a mama's first honest prayer ever written in ink. She needs some protection. Murmurs again, again, again. Ancestors. And so above, so below. Coaxes sage to burn while she rubs up new dime store candles with the heavy, slick oiled hands before she restarts time with the five tricks to master tantric yoga YouTube video. She a temple, but she still needs to prepare the altar, ask for guidance, bend back to split herself in half, and scream. Two, no one knows she's been grieving. Being chakra and gray goose, via brick dust and busted nuts, via the neighbor's expenses as designer blunts, via the Florida water and the rain baths, via the trap tracks and a sister strut line. She been screaming with the back snapped and flexed. She been grieving ever since her mama explained that she is part black woman, part hood witch, part six foot three Caucasian, part South Side, part black eyed peas, part bibliophile, part daddy between the legs, part mommy in the chest, part cap and gown, part black hoodie. She is all fear in the body. Three, for years, she handled the trigger like the tail of a fish, clenching the raw meat in the bowel of a mouth, desperate not to swallow or release the bullet that cradled her in her sleep, followed her through the grocery store, bought her a drink, dusted up a sidewalk, stood next to her on the bus, left a wet place in her bed, where where she wouldn't do to get away whole, left her split and seeping. She always knew a single, hey, yo ma, would translate her into faint traces of her shea butter and argan oil on the wind. Four, she became a god under his body with his weapon pissing iron into her dark and saturated construction. Though it was not the God that anyone expected, or the God that anyone wanted, a God born of electric heat and black pepper, it was the God that the world deserved. And in her making, sparks get along her jaw, light trickled through the crease lip of the car's window as she hollered in automatic clips, a levy of time, evacuating her body, coating the lemon-painted gutters of a nameless street in the rouge of a saffron-tinged tea dripping through and down the passenger door. In his hurry to see her asleep, the mess of her marked the pink threads of his palms with the last notes of a foreign song, hyphenated by the beat of her breath, became a bop unfamiliar to his neck, hitting him like the curse it was, plunged down the swell quickly in the root of his left sole before it swam back up to the path of his rod, twisting at his cords quickly slit against his final prayer. The year, mothered another blood moon tribute. What else was I supposed to do when an animal came looking for me? He later asked the officer, gazing over at the blaze to where the fire was now lit, withering and wondering at the ecstatic leap of her reaching flame. Hashtag say her name. Hashtag say my name. Hashtag, say her name. Hashtag, say my name. Hashtag, say my name. Hashtag, say her name. Hashtag, say my name. Hashtag, say her name. Hashtag, say my name. Hashtag, say her name. Hashtag, say my name. Hashtag, say my name. Hashtag, say her name. Hashtag, say my name. Black girls 
who know the scent well, rushed home to all their scalps in deep condition. Hashtag, say her name. Hashtag, say my name. Burn wick and conjure hell. Hashtag, say her name. Hashtag, say my name. Hashtag, say her name. Hashtag, say my name. Hashtag, say my name. Hashtag, say her name. Hashtag, say my name. Hashtag, say my name. Hashtag. Mm. I'm big hands all over the screen. <laughs> <laughs> ah, Baylita Hicks, everybody. Um, thank you so much. That's really all I got. I, thank you guys so much for having me. I'm going to tell you I skipped out on the Writers League. <laughs> the Writers League of Texas, like, hey, you free? I was like, nah, B. <laughs> I already got, got words and shit. <laughs> I got words. I didn't even say that. I got words and shit. I should have just dropped it in the email and they'd be like, excuse me, ma'am. And be like, no, that's the literal name. You're welcome. <laughs> it's very puro. <laughs> I'll tell you, when we were like debating what to name this program, I, I, I forget who threw it out. We were like, what about just like words and shit? I was like, yeah, that's what it is. It's words and shit. As it should be. As it should be. Uh, fucking Texas. Felita Hicks, thank you so much. Thank you so much for, for this conversation and your poetry and everything that you've done over the past 15 years and some. Um, you talked a lot about your upcoming projects and your, your classes and whatnot. So if somebody wants information on what you're going to be doing in the future and how to access that, where can they find that? What can they do? Uh, I will be dropping the information via social media tomorrow about where the classes will be listed and what dates that they will be. Um, and you can keep an eye on my website, which is www.faylitahicks.com. Um, I will be doing classes on everything from craft to workshops on developing your own work. And uh, how do you get paid? Mm-hmm. How do you get paid? Mm-hmm. Um there's more money out there for you that you don't even know about. And I want to help make sure that somebody else gets some of this too. Mm-hmm. So. You best believe I'm signing up because we all students out here. <laughs> all learn something, especially from you. So. Yes. Um, I yeah. still sign up for workshops all the time. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, oh, I just said thank you again. Yeah. I hope you had a good time. I had a great time. I'm surprised. Like, I have this whole glass and it's not even, <laughs> you, I'm proud of myself. <laughs> you were sitting truth too much to be sipping truth. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so thank you again to Felita Hicks. Thank you to Rooster for joining us this week um, and moderating this conversation. This is brought to you by Write Art Out, the nonprofit organization here in San Antonio that puts on shows like the Blah Poetry Spot. Uh, if you're interested, uh, next week, before we talk about other shows, next week on this show, we will be bringing Roscoe Burnham's all the way from Richmond, Virginia, onto this space. He's another one that has carved a path for himself. And if you're interested in finding his work, he has a one-man show on Amazon Prime right now called Traumedy which is absolutely worth checking out. And then come and join us for a conversation next week here. He's coming next week. Yeah. Coming next week. I watched it. It. Um, yeah, we, we did too. And it was one of those where it was like, oh, ah! 
<laughs> it's called Traumedy for a Reason. <laughs> so uh, join us next week for a fantastic conversation with Roscoe Burnham. All the information can be found on the Block Poetry Spot on Facebook or Write Art Out on Instagram. Uh, my name is Chibi. That's Rooster. I mean, for me, that's Rooster. And that's Felita. Uh, <laughs> thank you so much, everyone, for joining us. Um, Y'all be safe. Yourself. Be safe out there. Yes. Um, keep playing this. Texas music. is open, but stay your ass out. Stay your <laughs> ass out. <home. laughs> thank you and good night. Here's the music. Love Bailey. you guys. <laughs> Love you too.